This morning's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 43. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible app or in your paper Bible. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithia cum, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. They were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning. My heart has been heavy this week with the news of the senseless abduction and murder of Liza Fletcher in Memphis, Tennessee. Liza is a follower of Jesus, a member of Second Presbyterian Church, has friends here in our church, and has, is leaving behind two beautiful little boys and a husband. Stories like Liza's and then the 3,000 fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, daughters, and sons that lost their lives 21 years ago today at the hands of terrorists it shake us to our core. 
They leave us feeling heartbroken and impotent to bring about change. And they cause us to question, is God's kingdom really at hand? Is God making all things new? Does good conquer evil? And how do we maintain hope in the midst of such suffering? Like Adam and Eve, after being cast out of the garden, we wonder, is this the end of the story? But as we've been looking over the past months, the truth is there's a greater story, and that story continues. The Jesus Storybook says, as Adam and Eve were leaving the garden, God whispered to Adam and Eve, it will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of all the sin and the dark and the sadness that you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And as Harrison did such a great job preaching last week, after years and years of God sending his men and women, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Deborah, Moses, David, And everybody wondering, is this one the one? And yet each one of them died. Then God said, it's time. And he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human, who was tempted in every way but without sin. He is the perfect lamb of God to fulfill God's rescue plan and to establish God's kingdom He was bruised on the hill, but as God predicted in Genesis, he crushed the serpent's head and the dominion of sin. And though the influence of sin persists today, though wicked and evil men and women take innocent lives, God has not abandoned his people. God is establishing his dominion. And we see this being demonstrated in our passage this morning, in two ways. First, Jesus moves towards those who seek him. And then secondly, Jesus' power is there to heal and conquer death. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are grateful this morning for the privilege of being able to come into this place to lift our hearts to you. Lord, we know that um, many of our hearts are heavy this morning over the news of this past week. Our hearts go out to our brothers and sisters at Second Pres this morning as they weep and as they mourn. Lord, our hearts go out to the 3,000 families and so many others who lost their lives due to 9-11. And Lord, though we question, are you on your throne? Are you moving? I'm so grateful that you've given us your word. And in this passage, you remind us and you answer, yes, I am on my throne. My dominion is being established. And so give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Renew and restore our hope. Heal us. 
And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open to Mark chapter 5, or you can look on your Bible apps. And the first thing that I want us to consider as we look at this passage is that Jesus moves towards those who seek him. Now, in our story this morning, we're introduced to two people who come from two completely different worlds. We have Jairus, who's a ruler of the synagogue, highly influential and wealthy. And we have a woman who's nameless, poor, and afflicted with a horrific condition. The two were so completely different, and yet both of them shared the same fallen humanity and desperate need for help. The story begins with Jairus. The Jesus Storybook says there was once a little girl who didn't get out of bed one morning or the next or the next. In fact, she didn't get out of bed for a whole month. She was very sick and no one knew how to make her better. Jairus' daughter was, was very, very ill. And he had access to all the, the best doctors and nurses But none of them could help her. So after exhausting every resource available to him, Jairus begins to remember people talking about this man by the name of Jesus. A great healer. Someone who casts out demons. Who teaches with authority. And so what does Jairus do? He begins to think, if I can just find him, Then bring him back to my house. Maybe, just maybe, he will heal my daughter. So then Jairus hears news that Jesus, he had crossed the lake and he was nearby. And so he ran as fast as he could to talk to Jesus. The Jesus Storybook captures his sense of urgency saying, He jumped to his feet, put on his coat, kissed his daughter, ran down the steps, 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 past the servants, out of the house, through the gates, along the road, into the town to meet him. And our text tells us in verses 22 and 23, As Jesus stood on the shore, surrounded by a great crowd, Jairus seeing him, he fell at his feet. And he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And when I begin to doubt whether Jesus cares about my needs or the needs of others who seek him, I look no further than chapter 5, verse 24. And Jesus' simple yet profound response to Jairus. The author says, and Jesus went with him. Jesus went with him. So as Jesus and Jairus, they begin the trek to his house, the crowds are pressing against them. You can imagine the anticipation, the excitement The gratitude in Jairus' heart, but you can also imagine the fear, wondering, are they going to get there in time before she passes away? And as they're moving along, the unthinkable happens. Jesus abruptly stops and asks, who touched my garments? 
Tim Keller says, Jesus stopping in a case like this is a case of divine malpractice. But the mathematics of God are so different than man. God cares about every individual, regardless of class, gender, or race. And Jesus always moves towards those who seek him. And being aware that power had gone out from him, he stops, he surveys the crowd, and he asks, who touched me? Enters the second person in our story, the nameless woman. If you look in verses 25 through 29, the author tells us that there's this woman, and she had been bleeding for 12 years. She had been taken advantage of by physician after physician. She had lost all of her money. She was poor. She was considered ceremonially unclean, so she was cast out of the community. This nameless woman like Jairus, she had heard about Jesus' healing. And she thought to herself, if I just touch the cloak of his garment, I will be made well. And so as Jesus passes by her, she reaches out full of faith, full of hope, and she touches the edge of his garment. Verse 29, and immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. You can imagine the tears of joy that were running down her face as she realized that she had been healed And as she began to just back out of the crowd so that she could move away and enjoy the healing that God had brought, years of suffering being undone in an instant, a hope for a future free of physical pain bursting forth. What does Jesus do? Jesus stops and says, who touched me? You see, Jesus was not done with her healing. Jesus says, I want to see her. Now the disciples said to Jesus, dude, that's a crazy, crazy question. Who touched me? Everybody's touching you. You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you ask, who touched me? But the woman hearing him ask that question She knew that he was talking to her. And with fear and trembling, she came and she fell before him. And this is one of my favorite moments in Scripture. Because you have this woman who is poor, a social outcast, who had suffered greatly, quite the opposite of Jairus. And yet, what does Jesus do? He stops and he moves toward her. The Jesus storybook says, but Jesus, he reached out his hands, he gently lifted her head, he looked into her eyes, and he smiled. You believed, he said, wiping a tear from her eye, and now you are well. Jesus had provided outward healing. He had provided physical healing. But Jesus wanted to provide inner healing. 
Jesus wanted to restore her to community. He wanted to heal the years of shame that she felt and the lack of dignity she felt because she had been outcast. In verse 34, Jesus says to her, Daughter, go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus, he moves toward those who are in need and offers healing. Six years ago, October, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And thanks to Dr. Aaron Morin, who attends here, we caught it early. And thanks to God using Dr. Borden, uh, he removed my prostate and removed the cancer. But for the past six years, I get my blood checked. Every six months for the first five years, and then at year six, once a year. And they check my blood to see if there's an elevation of my PSA, an antigen. And if it's elevated, that means that there's a recurrence. Well, a week ago, I had gotten my blood checked, and I did what I was. And I said, hey, my name's Todd Jones. Here's my birthday. What are my results? And on the first time in six years, there was dead silence on the other end of the phone. Nothing. I was in the car, and I was thinking, okay, did the call drop? But there was nothing, and it lasted for a minute, but it felt like an eternity. And then she came back on the phone, and for the first time in six years, she said, well, I can't tell you the results because the doctor hasn't released them. And at that moment, my anxiety started to rise. It was already probably at an 8, and it was probably at 17 at that point. And she was like, I can't tell you it's bad news, but I can't tell you it's good news. And let me talk to his nurse and have her call you. And for those next 20 minutes, I could barely breathe. I felt like I was having a panic attack. I was with Braxton at the gym, and I was just trying to press through it. And then 20 minutes later, I was healed physically. But I believe that Jesus wanted to do a deeper healing in my life. Because, you know, anxiety is like a a signal on a, a train track saying that there's a train of unwanted emotions coming down the track. And when we feel anxiety, there's emotions unwanted over here that we don't want to feel. Now, I was feeling anxiety at a 17 meaning there was a lot of unwanted emotion that I didn't want to feel. And as I went home that evening and began to pray, the Lord began to speak to me and say, Todd, it's time. We need to deal with those unwanted emotions, those feelings of helplessness that are deep, that you've had since you were a little boy, those feelings when you wanted help and you reached for your mom and dad and they weren't there, those deep feelings of being alone, I want to heal you. Jesus moves toward those of us who seek him. And he doesn't just want to heal us physically. Jesus wants to heal our inner self, our past wounds, our emotions. This is our Jesus. This is the one who moves toward us. This is the one 
who moves toward us even this morning as we ache the loss of Eliza Fletcher, the loss of those who died on 9-11, the loss of unmet desires and hopes and dreams, the loss of marriages. And I could go on and on and on. So I wonder this morning, where do you need healing? It might be physical, or it might be inner. It might be something in the present, or it might be something from the past. Whatever it is, will you humbly seek Jesus? Will you take advantage of our healing prayer ministry here at the church and let brothers and sisters pray for you? Jesus moves toward those who seek Him. He is persistent in His pursuit of us. And so I invite you this morning to be needy of Him. I invite you this morning to be expectant and be confident that as Jesus moved toward Jairus and moved toward the bleeding woman, Jesus will move towards you. So the first thing that we see in our passage this morning is that Jesus moves toward those who seek Him. His kingdom is alive. His dominion is being established. And then the second thing we see this morning is that Jesus has the power to heal and the power to conquer death. As we read the news from the past week, we often we feel so powerless to bring about change. And again, we ask, is his rescue plan really happening? Our passage this morning reminds us that God is establishing his dominion here and now. Yes, even death has lost its sting. And we see this power being demonstrated in our passage. We see it first through the healing of the bleeding woman, and then we see it secondly as the power is being poured out on Jairus' daughter. Look in verse 35. Mark tells us that while Jesus was still speaking, they came from Jairus' house. And they said to him, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Again, I love Jesus' response, which speaks directly to Jairus' feeling of helplessness and powerlessness, Jesus looks at him and says, Jairus, do not fear. Only believe. Jesus, knowing his own power that had been given to him by the Father, says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Trust me and rest in knowing that I can bring healing. And so what do they do? They continue to proceed to Jairus' house. And as they approached the house, there were professional mourners outside. And those mourners were wailing and screaming. And in verse 39, Jesus gently and lovingly rebukes them. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, but sleeping. And look at their response to him. They laughed at him. And let me pause here to say, those of us who follow Christ, those of us who believe that his kingdom has come, those of us who believe that he has the power to heal and even to rescue us from death, 
we will be mocked. Others will laugh at us. Others will say you're being stupid. You're not believing in science. All of those things. And we have a Savior who understands exactly how we feel and who empathizes with us. And we have a Savior who kicked the mockers out and says, nope, I'm going up into her room. And then taking the child by her hand, he said two words to her, Talitha Kumi. This was a very common ancient Near Eastern expression that literally all fathers and mothers used. Every time they woke up their kids, they'd say Talitha Kumi, which literally mean, honey, it's time to get up. And with his gentle touch, the one who has power over death reached through death's door and snatched this little girl from death and brought her back to life. And immediately she woke up and she began walking and her parents and everyone that was in the room, they were overwhelmed with amazement. You see, the truth of this passage is that Jesus has the power to heal any sickness and disease, and he has the power to bring the dead back to life. His dominion is occurring now. Now, I know, as I say this, for those of us who've lost loved ones this year, for Eliza's husband, her children, her family, I'm sure they're asking the question, then why? Why didn't God save and spare her life and i do you have i don't know there's no answer i have no idea why i have no idea why my dad got diagnosed with uh, terminal disease and died god could have saved him he could have healed him but he chose not to but i find comfort this morning And something that Don Miller said when he preached at a funeral here in town of a young man who had committed suicide. As he comforted the family, he said this. When God heals and snatches someone from the clutches of death this side of heaven, that's imperfect healing. Because he's going to continue to live here in our fallen world. But when we die... And we fall into the arms of Jesus. That's perfect healing. Because we will be made like him completely. There will be no more suffering. No more tears. No more sickness. And no more disease. I find great comfort in knowing that death. Is perfect healing for every one of us in this room. And one day every one of us in this room will die. And we'll experience, if we profess faith in Christ, that perfect healing will be made new. There'll be no more sickness, no more, la- no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more depression, no more anxiety, no more unwanted feelings. My mom and dad are perfectly healed. Liza Fletcher is perfectly healed. The 3,000 men, women, and children who died on 9-11, who professed faith in Christ this morning, are perfectly healed and they are with our Savior. 
God's rescue plan is active. And Satan can throw the kitchen sink at us. But nothing he will ever do will thwart God's dominion being established here and now. And so, to those of us this morning who are feeling helpless, our texts remind us that we have a God who is all-powerful. To those of us this morning whose marriages are falling apart and we're wondering, can we make it another day? We have a God who can heal your marriage. To those of us this morning who have children who are wayward, who are not walking with God, and we're wondering, will they ever return home to Him? We have a God who heals and transforms hearts. To those of us this morning who have loved ones who are battling terminal illnesses, we have a God who loves them and who is with them and He will either choose to imperfectly heal them and keep them here for years to come or He will heal them perfectly and take them home to be with Him forever. This is our God. And He dwells in us. His power dwells in us. And as we move into our world, we can be His healing hands. And we can be a reminder to the watching world that's asking, is God alive? Is His dominion being established? Is His kingdom being established? We can say, yes, it is. Yes, He is. And so the question for us this morning is, do we believe this truth? And I'm comforted that if faith the size of a mustard seed is enough. And sometimes I feel like my faith is just the size of a mustard seed. Especially when I enter and engage the brokenness in my own heart, in y'all's hearts, and in our world. God's kingdom is at hand. We live in a fallen world. Our hearts ache. Jesus wept as he looked out over Jerusalem. And he weeps. He weeps with us this morning over the evil that we see and the evil that has touched our lives. But we can leave this place with a living hope through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The dominion of sin has been broken. And though the influence continues, and though death continues, the sting of death is lost. And He gives us His Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to comfort us, to encourage us, and to keep us moving forward. Jesus' rescue plan is working. God is on the move. He is establishing His dominion. And I love how the story of this little girl and this poor frail lady ends. The Jesus Storybook says this, Jesus was making the sad things come untrue. He was mending God's broken world. May it be so. Amen.